Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everyone, welcome back to One Broken Mom. Um, about a month ago, I shared a video on my Facebook page called Stand Inside the Circle, showing this white woman in a prison yard, revealing to the viewers and to the prisoners themselves this overarching and painful connection between their experiences and their abusive and ne- neglectful childhoods. Obviously, this is my passion, and so I can't watch a video like that without ugly crying, and some of you out there said the same. And so doing what I do, I reached out to the woman that I saw in this video so that I could do my part to help share with as many people as possible her passion and purpose. And when she said yes, I was just completely stoked. So I've been looking forward to this all morning long, um, a little bit jazzed up about this. And so today I have with me Fritzi Hortzman. She is the founder and executive director of Compassion Prison Project. She's a Grammy award-winning producer for her work on The Defiant Ones, which is pretty rad, and has been a producer and post-producer on dozens of television documentaries, um, shows, and has directed several films on her own. So welcome to the show today, Fritzi. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. I'm so happy to talk about my passion. Oh, yeah. And it, it, you know, kind of going down a pathway like this, these aren't easy paths to take. And so when somebody decides to venture into something as challenging and as daunting as what you're doing here, I have just nothing but 100% respect for it and, um, and feel like if there's a way that I can help, that's what I want to be able to do here. So how is it that you arrived through your career in film and television production to, to this cause and to, and to doing this? In September 2018, I was invited to a prison uh, through Hustle 2.0, which is Cat Hoax, amazing organization. Um, I walked in those prison doors, and the minute I arrived, I didn't see the worst of the worst. I saw myself uh, and my trauma and those men and their trauma. And I, I actually said in front of everybody, I said, this isn't a prison. This is a trauma center. And... What I realized in that day is what we're doing is radically, it's like opposite than, than what we need to do. And I said, so when are we coming back? I'm in, we gotta, we're going we're gonna to change this thing. And they said, oh yeah, we're coming back in six months. And that was just unacceptable to me. And so I was like, okay, I got to do something. And so I, I went home, I researched kindness. I listened to a hundred podcasts um, compassion, um, self-love. And January 5th, 2019, I walked into Kern Valley State Prison with two other volunteers, my friend Arthur and Jenny, and we, we just winged it. We meditated. I said, I love you to the guys. 
Um, I said, I'm traumatized. I've been traumatized and let's change this paradigm. And then, so we, you know, the class, the, the second class, I, th they changed half the guys. So all my prep for the next class was completely different. It was like, wait, these guys don't know that I'm traumatized. They, wait, you know, it, so, and that's typical of prison. They don't really care about the men. I mean, in the past anyway, I think, I think things are starting to shift in the California system. But my experience was that they don't care. They don't care what they're doing. They're, like they have, they have the cards and they're, they'll play them the way they want to. And so this has been, this was watching how the prison works and how the men have to, you know, deal with this. And so, you know, it was a big mess. Anyway, I walked in there and, you know, a year later, I, I, I always knew I had to make a film. We figured out the trauma circle in, in class. We did it four times. And, but, but I couldn't even film at that prison because their restriction, it's a, it's a maximum level four secu high security prison. And they wanted to allow me to have four filmmakers. Uh, so that would be me, a cameraman. You know, it was ridiculous. The crew we have for Step Inside the Circle, we had 23 crew members. So, but that's Lancaster. And that was an honor yard, basically, that we filmed on, where the men get programs in exchange for agreeing not to do any shenanigans, no gang activity, no phones, no, um, just no shenanigans, no stabbings, mm -hmm. just walk your course. So did that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So, I mean, and it's kind <laughs> of like, you know, those, those flashbulb startling moments, right? You know, and, I, and I've, I've mentioned this before, you know, people searching for purpose, it's, not, it's elusive. And I, you know, I've used, you know, I'm a mother, I've got two teenagers and um, I've, I, the only, you know, the only thing I found analogous to describing this to anybody is, um, you know, when you're pregnant the first time and your midwife or your doula or your doctor or anybody's telling you, you know, you're like, how do I know I'll go into labor? And they're like, you'll know, trust me, you'll know. And you're like, yeah, but is this it? And is this it? And, you know, purpose searching feels like that up until the moment, you know, right. And you're just like, yes, this is labor. Yes. I understand this. Like, yes, there's no doubt in my mind. I didn't have to question it. Right. So, you know, and it happens like that. Like, you know, you don't plan it, you don't plot it. Sometimes you just walk in and there it is. And so, I mean, you know, it, it's not like you had a structure going into this. It was just that moment. Right. Exactly. And, and the purpose gets reinforced, I think, as you go along, because we, I was making it up as I was going along, but then I was like, Oh wait, something's working here. And I think what happens is when you get filled up, inadvertently filled up, you don't, you just know you have to do something, but you don't know why and you don't know what it's going to be. Like the first couple of times I went to prison, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. This is exhausting. You know, I had to take two days just to recover. But then suddenly the momentum happened. There were more volunteers. We started having 10, 12, 14 people wanting to come. People were booking in advance. And so that was, that was affirming. And then, you know, one day it just was like, that's it. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to quit my job, which I did in July of 2019. I said, I'm not going back to film. This is it. I'm in a hundred percent. And then, you know, as you watch the bank account go down and down and down and, and, you know, my husband's like, well, you know, you're, you're part of this financial system that we have. And it's like, no, it goes down and down. And then 
by the way, we're going to make a film and we don't have any financing. And so the rest of our savings is going to pay for insurance and, and trucks. And, and he's like, okay. And I'm, he's like, really? Uh, do we have to pay insurance? I'm like, we can't get in the prison unless there's insurance. And so it was that blind trust, um, which, you know, I can't explain it, but I knew this was what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And I had to make that film. And I, it's, you know, I don't know if you know, but Rodrigo Prieto is, was one of the cinematographers on the film. And he was Martin Scorsese cinematographer for The Irishman. So when he says, I'm going to be involved, there's, you're, that's what you're doing. And, and I'm, I need 23 crew members. And so, and they need to be paid. It's like, the obstacles were, were constant and, and, nonstop. And it was like, I just had to say, yes, we'll figure it out. I made them take deferred, like we paid half and it was so great. You know, we got some donations and I could pay all the crew members. And today I just paid the insurance company back. Um, and so, but yeah, it was, but it was the leap of faith for me and my family was like off the charts for us. And, you know, I got to say, it was the, it was, it was a magical, it was like the best thing I could ever imagine. And, um, but to trust the universe, to trust yourself, to trust your instincts. I've never done it like that. I've always lived in fear and, you know, living in love is a, is the paradigm we're heading towards. So, you know, what does that mean? I guess to your listeners or to the people watching this, what does living in love mean to you? Because that's where the magic happens. In at least for me, it's been magical ever since since I walked into those prison gates with those twenty three guys. They counted. It was like eleven pages of equipment down to like a, a a bolt. We had to count every bolt walking in there. It took three hours just to get into the into the prison yard. But we did it. I mean, I thought we were going to shoot for film for ten hours. We got five, but mm-hmm. that's what we got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So magic. Yeah. And I'm getting goosebumps because I, I do know that, like, like I said, and, and you're right. Like, it's just, um, I'm going to nod because I, I know what you mean, where you just kind of, you're going forward and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I know I'm going to make it. I know it's going to happen. And you're right. The hurdles become obstacles that then just when you need it, the door opens, the call comes in, the sale comes in, the donation comes I mean, everything just kind of goes and, you know, many years ago, you know, my own kind of like perspective started to really change was that when you're in the flow, you flow. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there isn't white water, you know, carrying you around or you're not bumping off a few things, but you keep moving. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually pulled a quote, you don't know this, but on Facebook this morning, I posted that I was going to be talking to you and I was really excited and I actually pulled a uh, Jimmy Ivan quote out of your Defiant Ones documentary, which was um, use fear as a tailwind, not as a headwind. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? Is when you can actually, um, you know, charge into something that is powerful and meaningful. And and to some extent, your fear dissipates a little bit. It doesn't go away. It's there, but yet the inspiration of what you're going to do, it just starts to outweigh the fear. It makes it like worth kind of challenging yourself and, and moving in and moving, moving forward. So, um, interesting. Thank you so much for, thank you Go so ahead. much for using that quote. Um, it kind of brings tears to my eyes because, 
you know, I would hear that quote almost on a daily basis as we were making the film. And I never really understood what he meant until like, I get it now, but I like, yes, Jimmy, you know, fear, fear is kind of evaporating because, you know, love, love really, and that's what Jimmy was doing. He was just loving, loving what he did. And I think, you know, a lot of us think we have to follow the money trail. We have to, you know, with security, the whole notion of security is such a fear-based um, thinking like insurance. That's such a fear-based mentality. And so, you know, I just thank you for bringing that quote back to me. It's like a, wow, what a, what an epiphany for today. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Oh yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, like I said, I, at the beginning of this, I mean this, I, you know, admire and respect you um, for what you were, you know, what you've been doing in, in this whole work. Cause it isn't an easy thing to do. I, you know, for example, like how do you as a white woman walk into a prison yard and get them to trust you to be vulnerable because that's what that is. And that's, I think that's why people connected with the, the, with the video that we've shared and we'll connect with the documentary is that, you know, these aren't faces we're used to seeing being vulnerable about their abusive, you know, their abuses that they had. It's hard, you know, you don't look into the faces of these men and you don't see very easily, at least most people don't. I know, I think you and I can see this. I can see the children that they were. I know that that's how you probably connected with them. Not a lot of people do, right? Um, and so how do you go in and gain trust with, um, with these men to get them to, like I said, be vulnerable and to, and to be vulnerable in public for everybody else to see? Because that's, that's fearful. That's scary. Uh, well, for me, I think, I think because I was traumatized and I, I didn't judge, I don't judge I don't judge the men in prison or the women in prison. I don't judge them because we're all in this together. I mean, that's the, that's the piece that I think we're all forgetting is, you know, we're putting, we're putting the dark parts of ourselves in prison and we're, we're shutting the door and saying, you know, the prisons are way outside of cities. They're hard to get to. So it's like, it's even hard to get to our dark side. Um, But I think they, they see in me somebody that has no judgment for them that um, and I see my own criminality, my own, you know, ventures into criminality, which criminal thinking is really um, pretty, it's kind of intelligent. It's street smarts is basically what it is. And I was a street kid walking the streets in New York city um, as a teenager, just seeing how everything went, you know, and you know, the guy behind the counter, Hey lady, what do you want? And I'd say, I don't know. What do you got? But that's, that's street smarts and that's rapport. And it's also like, it didn't, you know, when you're in New York City, you see every, every race, every level of income, and you're kind of all in it together. And a lot of cities don't have that. There's more segregation, like Los Angeles is pretty segregated, but in New York, everyone's in your face. So there is a street smarts that I think I brought, I bring to prison. And I think they see that I see when people see that they, that you're seen, mm-hmm. you know, all the doors open and, you know, the doors of love and the doors of possibility are open. And that's these men and these women have never been seen as divine, as miraculous, as talented as, as possibility. And I see, I, I was on a zoom call with a bunch of incarcerated people from, from New Mexico yesterday. And I saw, I was so excited to see them because it's like a different energy because they're, they're raw and they're ready. They're ready for love. They're just, they're, their doors are open and, 
you know, it's a real opportunity for all of us to love them. And, and in doing so, we love ourselves. It's the algorithm is clear. It's been, it's been taught to us by Jesus and every other religion and do unto others as you would have do unto yourself. That's what that means is love unconditionally and unconditional love come back. It's not do unto others. It's love unto others. And, uh, so that was one of the things I learned in researching is the golden rule is, is in all religions. And so they get it, they get it, except we, for, we forgot, we forgot. So, and what we're doing unto others right now is, um, in, and this is in politics, this is in our prison system, we're, you know, we're creating others. We're saying you're different than me and therefore you need to be treated differently. And this is, this is actually kind of, this is, this is where the problem is because there is no difference. We all came in as divine. We all have messages and we all have information for our own evolution and transcendence. Um, so, yeah, I know listening to, um, yeah, I, I, I fully get that. And then I know you also know this as well, that there are people that have a hard time understanding that, right. That they, um, meaning that, it's hard to overlook the crime, right? There's so much uh, loss in the crime, whether the crime is stealing, uh, you know, being abusive, um, you know, murder, uh, you know, all of that stuff. You know, some people can't get past that because again, that's, you know, it, there's, you know, it's, it's counter to humanity, some of those things, right? Like we just talked about, what is, our, what is our base nature? Like, you know, one of the gentlemen actually says like, you know, we weren't born into this world to be criminals. And that's absolutely 100% true. So then people always want to question and judge why somebody will take actions that is counter to humanity. And of course we know, you know, there's some experiences, but not everybody does that. And so when some people choose not to do that, or we call it a choice, right? But maybe it's not always a choice. Um, it's a choice with whatever information we have and whatever we've got programmed into ourselves, but it's hard for people to look onto somebody else feel like they have some similar experiences and go, yeah, but I never did that. You know, and I, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I have three other siblings that are, have been in and out of jail, all of them over and over for a variety of issues. I've never been like, I've had two speeding tickets. Like, so, you know, it would be easy for me to judge them. Like we had the same house, we had the same life. Like why didn't, you know, so when you run in and you have this beautiful message, which I completely agree what happens and what do you do when you run into somebody that's just like, yeah, but they deserve to be in prison because they killed somebody. Like, how can I forgive that? How can I forget that they did that, they, that they made that choice? That's so many things to unpack there. So yes, yeah. choice is an interesting question when you're uh, an interesting word when you're traumatized because the brain completely changes when you're traumatized. The, the, you know, you've heard of flight, fight or flight, but what happens is the prefrontal cortex the, the good decision-making um, system in your brain shuts down and the amygdala, the fear center gets huge. And then um, you add brain damage or like uh, brain trauma, which 97% of the men that I've asked all have had their head bashed. Mm -hmm. So you have like ask a football player if he can make good decisions mm -hmm. after he's been playing for 30 years. So you've got a brain that is not, uh, has an, and you add normalization of violence from child abuse, you've got a brain that is telling, it's, telling the body, we're going to be safe. Whatever it takes to be safe, 
we're going to do it. And if it means we have to fight, if we have to kill. So um, the question of free will really starts um, emerging from this, this discussion. And it's not just free will, but it's also you put a traumatized brain in a triggering situation, it's going to keep itself safe. And that means probably if um, you've had the amount of abuse that these men have endured, which is unconscionable, um, and these women, but the women, the men in the film, unconscionable, some of these stories, um, you're going to kill. And okay, so, okay, so we know about the brain. And then we also know these men have never, and women have never been seen as being anything but a piece of shit. And, and that's, so when you're, that is the information you've been told. And then you, it's, it's reinforced by beatings and uh, language that is just like they're like some some people are told I wish you were never been born. My mother told me that actually as well. Um, I wish you've never been born. So what does that? What is a three year old or a seven year old? How does that inform the rest of your life? Um, so, but also, so for me, why I didn't commit more crimes than I did, which I you know, I was on my way to juvie for sure. Um, some people saw me. I went to a good school and I had teachers who saw me, who saw, they said, look at, look at that photograph you took. Look at that. And they, they saw me as someone who, who could have some value in the world. And, and when I go into prison, I see the men and women as having some value in the world. And when you, sh- when you shift that dynamic, um, it's like being in a swarm of puppies. They're like, Really? you see me, you see me as who I am, really? And then suddenly they start imagining themselves as productive humans and they want to forgive their parents and they want to forgive themselves and they want to start giving back to society. Um, I think that, I mean, I think there are some sociopaths in prison and they need to stay, but they don't need to be abused. And the men that, the men and women, you know, every CO in that prison, in those prisons know who can come out. Um, they know who the good people are. They know who's, you know, walking the line and they know who needs some help. The, the information is all there. We know who need, and the assets in prison, those men and women have sat there for years. They know what it will take to heal their communities. And, and then to the victims, the, the harm is unconscionable. Again, it's more trauma, more trauma in the world. And we need to find ways for the person who committed the crime and the person who has been affected by the crime to find a way to heal this because, and that's why the giving, we do this thing called the giving back project at compassion prison project, where we try to, where we build bridges back to the community, back to the victim, because the victim is being ignored in the, in the way the criminal justice system works. Now the, the victim stands on the side and you're guilty. You get 20 years, but the victim is not, there has been no um, restor- restoration. The victim goes home and, and has to deal with his trauma or her trauma or loss of a family member, whatever it is, there's no, there's no restoration. We need to sit in circles and work all this out and find the way that this victim is going to heal. And we need to work on this healing. It's, you know, healing is done in communities. It's an old Native American tradition. And I don't know why we abandoned this. But this is our, this, this, these circles need to happen in every community. And I believe Congress and the states, I think, 
I think Trump and the rest of the gang need to sit in circles and start working things out. Mm -hmm. I do. I I think we all need to work things out. There's no, you know, we all want the same thing. We all want a good family, education, a a way to make money and, um, you know, live in abundance. And I don't know why there are two sides of the aisle because it makes no sense. We all want the same thing. We just, you know, the way we get there is, is being disputed, but you know, why? Why mm-hmm. are we creating all this division? What is what, except for, you know, we can destroy more land or we can destroy more families. You know, we, it's, this is a call to, for America to really like start getting, getting together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I, I agree. Um, definitely. I, you know, my master's degree is in environment and community. And, um, and so, you know, for many uh, years, the, the two sides of the uh, kind of the aisle in terms of um, is environmental protection or not, right? It's like, but like you just said, we can all agree we want clean air and, you know, clean water. Like that's, that's a common. So let's start with what we know we all want and then start to kind of figure out where we start to diverge on how we get to that point. And so, you know, that, that always takes me back like 10 years when I was doing that with, you know, contractors and builders and neighborhoods and, you know, municipalities and trying to get us all on the same page of deciding how we were going to design a plan, you know, for a building or a development, you know, to move forward and stuff. Um, You know, one of the things that I, watching the video is that grips me about this entire topic is that um, when those of us that are privileged and I'll use the word privileged with an ability to do this kind of healing, this awareness, build up our own self-compassion and then recognize that our own circles need to change. um, We can, you know, we can decide that we're not going to hang out with these people. We can cut off family members. um, We can get rid of the toxicity around us. um, And we can, we can start to craft a life that matches our new belief system. Right. But fuck, these men can't right? Like they're in prison. <laughs> they're surrounded by toxic people, um, you know, other inmates to prison staff and uh, employees. And to me, it feels like I watch a man come to this awareness and then I, I can't, I, I honestly can't help but cry for him because I feel like you just found a new prison, right? You have all of this awareness and this whole sense of compassion, but now you're, you're locked into this situation that now keeps you trapped with this whole level. And it just feels, to me, it honestly feels more cruel. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, I wonder, like, are these men that go through these programs and these women that are going through these programs, are they safe? You know, are they safe from this? Or is there more things that still have to happen and still have to change for them? Yes. No, they're not safe. No. I mean, um, I've, I get letters from the men I used, I used to work with. I'm, I hope to work with them again soon. They don't feel safe right now. Um, Kern Valley State Prison just had two murders in two, two weeks ago. And, you know, there's the the way the prison system is is geared, especially in the maximum securities, it's like the military. The COs are trained like they're, um, they're you know, the enemy is the prisoner, is the man, is the man, the incarcerated person. And so when you have, an, when you other like that in such, such, you know, they were telling me, you know, you're on our side, you're on the side of, of the staff, you know? And so they, they're like, you gotta, you gotta obey this division. And, you know, to me, I was just like, this is ridiculous. This is, this is just old, old patterning. And you walk in there and all the men, they're most of the CEOs, they're men and they're, you know, they're armored up, their hearts are armored up. Everything is just shut. They're shut down. And, you know, I just try and like get in there. It's like, we love you. You know, we, we um, Sam Harris, the, the guy who has this other podcast, he donated his um, mindfulness 
meditation app to all the COs and staff at at, uh, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. So like thousands of men have the, and women have the ability to meditate. So, I mean, we're worried, we're worried about them as well as uh, of the staff and the COs. There's there's violence and there's suicides, so many suicides, you know, and it's, it's really painful because they all are suffering from PTSD and they all probably have a lot of childhood trauma. One of the circles that I hope to film when we, when we get back is a, a correctional officer circle so they can, we can start seeing their, con, their amount of childhood trauma, which I believe is the same because violence attracts violence. If you're attracted to being a CO, the chances of you having violence in your life are pretty high. And uh, do you know, same with being attracted to the military. It's a way for you to express the violent, the violence that you've been, that's been normalized in your life. I got a letter from one of the guys and he says, you know, I didn't know violence wasn't normal. I thought this was what we all did. I mean, but that's, you know, that's context. That's, he goes out into the street, people are fighting and hitting each other. That's what they're doing inside their homes. That's what was being done in my home. I thought violence was normal. And I thought, being anxious and, you know, kind of numbing myself was normal, but it's not, we didn't, we're not, we weren't built this way. We weren't built to be like in like a toxic stress environment all day long. You know, your life expectancy goes down 20 years. If you have more than six ACEs, ACEs being adverse childhood experiences, which I hope all your listeners will take the ACE test Mm-hmm. And know what an ACE is. I think that's one of the awarenesses I really want to spread. What is an ACE? An ACE is an adverse childhood experience. They have questions from one to 10 um, created by Vince Folletti and Robert Anda and the Kaiser Permanente Foundation. It's, it's the tool we use and it's what the circle was based on. The, the step inside the circle, our compassion trauma circle, we use the ACE test. And then I've expanded the questions to include homelessness, foster care, juvenile justice, um, and head trauma, like head trauma. You know, um, Robert Sapolsky, he said in, in an interview, which kind of woke me up, he says, how many men on death row have had, you know, tra- brain trauma? How many men? And um, the men on death row, we've been doing some, some ACE tests with them. I've only gotten two responses, but both of them had a 10 of a possible 10. So the amount of trauma that the men on death row, now, so we're killing these men because of their trauma, basically, because when you're that traumatized, um, if you've ever seen Gabriel Fernandez, The Trials of Gabriel Fernandez on Netflix, you will see the extent of, I highly recommend it, so you can really understand what kind of trauma the men and women in prison are dealing with. Gabriel died, but if had he survived, not only would he have become a criminal, you know, he would probably be on death row as well. So, I mean, because when you have that much violence in your life, it's the only thing you understand and the only thing you, it's the only tool you have in your tool chest. So we need to replace these tools with love, compassion, self-esteem, creativity. I mean, think of the world we could create Mm -hmm. um, when these tools are available to everybody instead Mm -hmm. of violence and dehumanization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, um, uh, talking about how, you know, these men and women are assets 
you know, when they have, when they have been able to um, grow and heal and understand, you know, it is like a, um, it is like a fog kind of lifting off of the brain, you know, when you're just like, you have your own aha moments, right? And, um, and that the, the tremendous value it is when they can go in and do pretty much what you and I are doing, right? Which is, I came to this awareness, now I need to, you know, now I know that what I'm meant to do is to help other people. And I can't, I can't see not doing that ever again, ever and again in my life, that there are men and women that can do the same thing that can go right into the heart of these neighborhoods and these, um, you know, their, their own situations and begin to change them, you know, from the inside out, you know, which is, you know, incredibly powerful and to have a face that people recognize, right. Not have somebody coming in. I, I, I know one of the things that um, like with my show in particular that I hear from listeners is, you know, they see a person rather than a doctor right? Or a therapist, you know, talking at them, you know, and trying to, you know, preach to them or, you know, educate them in a way, but just another person, another, you know, another person on the same journey, kind of traveling along with them. They're like, yeah, I, I hear that. I hear your experiences. My experiences are similar. So now it connects to me. I'm going to listen to where, how you got 10 feet down the road that I want to come up and join you at, right? And so these men and women can do the same. And that would be tremendous. And it's, um, it seems unfortunate to not have that ability or to lock them off from that that possibility. Um, so when in schools, we talk about having trauma-informed schools. So when children show up to school and they're dealing with childhood traumas at home and adversities of beatings, neglect, even emotional neglect, um, and they show up to a school with a staff around them that is not trauma-informed. I've seen this myself with my own children uh, and I've been frustrated. You know, So my kids don't go to normal, like the regular schools because the regular school systems, you can have one great teacher, you can have three terrible teachers, you can have a principal, you can have a punitive system set up that punishes them rather than understanding and seeing them, like, you, like we've said in this a few times. So do you tack through your project trauma-informed prisons and the prison systems there? Well, I've actually gone to say wellness centers. So not only are people trauma-informed, everything is geared toward bringing the human that walks in there into wholeness. So it's creativity. It's, it's circles all day long, circles, 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 talking about therapists. Um, you know, it's a vision. It's, it's basically a utopia for someone who's trauma, who's had trauma. I mean, the first question we ask is not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you, right? That's the trauma informed approach. Mm-hmm. And so not only it's like not only that, you know, you intake, if you've committed a crime, there is trauma behind it. That's, that's full stop. So we know there's a problem if you're doing something violent to somebody else. I mean, just, you know, my, one of my neighbors, you know, his son is bullying my son and I know there's something going on there. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna let them work it out until I need to intervene, but there is some trauma in there. And, and my son has got some as well because I, he was in my belly when I was traumatized. He's had that. He knows what that anxiety feeling. And I see him reacting trauma, not only trauma informed wellness, like, like an umbrella of wholeness that, you know, all Americans need this. It's not just the incarcerated population. It's, we have to reevaluate basically all of our systems, you know, you know, the abuse we, we do to our food system, you know, we're eating food that's been abused. And, and so that, and we know this, we go to McDonald's and we still know that there's been, there's a problem with what we're doing. So we're, it's like, we are the things that we're not really 
you know, coming to terms with as a society, you know, that I hear there's all these pigs that are rotting and, you know, just like the, the sorrow I have that even they're, you know, so it's these kinds of things that have to be unearthed. Our, our advertising system telling people they're not valuable, mm-hmm. you know, that's, it's a constant message every day, you know, these, you know, all these women doing selfies, like spending hours just, you know, doing a pose and then everybody else thinking they have to live up to this. It's like, what messaging are we telling our beautiful people? You know, are we're beautiful in exactly every, every little cell you have is perfect. It doesn't matter. You know, you're going to get old, you're going to have pimples, you're going to get fat. And, but, you know, and there's no shame in any of it. And, you know, we're, we live in a very shame society and, you know, it's really a shame to be poor and to be homeless and to be, I went to a, I saw a homeless man. He had a beautiful dog. He was a beautiful man. And I said, you know what? There is no shame. You, there's no shame being homeless. I know you're going to get your, your act together, but until then, you know, enjoy being homeless. You know, you don't have to have a job. I don't know. I know it was hard for him, but there is no shame. There's no shame in having served in Vietnam and not being able to deal with all the trauma that you're, you're, you're faced with. Um, there is no shame being a woman, being transgender, being confused, whatever it is. It's like, let's give ourselves a break. Being an addict, like that's a big one. All the shame of being an alcoholic and being an addict. You know what? You're alive. Good, good. That's, what you, that's, that's a start. And now, okay, so there's no shame in being an addict. You can make new choices. If you want to keep drinking, do it. It's fine. I get it. I mean, my sister, she drinks. She doesn't really want to heal. And there's no shame in that. I'm, I'm really fine with her, her journey. And I love her. And I just want to support her in whatever she wants to choose. So, you know, we have to stop shaming our relatives for not knowing how to deal with their trauma. I mean, gosh. And you know, when we stop shaming, doors start opening and awarenesses start opening and we start seeing people for their glory, even though they're, you know, inebriated or whatever it is that's going on. Or if they've gained weight because they can't deal with the sexual abuse that happened when they were six years old. I mean, let's give, let's give our, our whole society a break. Mm-hmm. You know, let's have a, you know, a no shame day where mm-hmm. we can all just say, and then a no shame life where we can all say, we're we're good. And, you know, there is some room for improvement, but fundamentally we're good. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Yeah. That was one of the parts that you see in the video that seemed to connect with the men that they all commented or several of them had commented on it that um, at the very end where you talk about there is no shame um, and having them say it out loud. Right. Cause there's always something about, you know, you saying there is no shame, but there's something about when we can actually say that out loud because it takes on a whole nother sense of power coming out of our own mouths rather than this, uh-huh, yeah, I know, I hear you, right? I, yeah, I'm sure I agree, right? But it, it just kind of rolls right off of our heads and doesn't really connect until we express it and say it, you know? And just to, you know, people are probably listening saying, well, wait, um, what about, what if you've done something bad? Well, so back to it, there is no shame, but there's accountability. Mm-hmm. So we've done something wrong and that's where we start we start taking, we take responsibility for what we've done and we figure out the way to make it better. We get, we do it. And that's that, you know, for all, and all the people in prison, 
taking accountability and making amends, figuring out a way to make amends. And, you know, maybe your victim is dead. Maybe you can't do it. Maybe the family doesn't even exist, but there's a community that's been impacted. There's, you know, there's a, there's someone in the world that you can pay it forward to, you know, you can make amends, you know, you know what that is, you know what that journey is. And you, if you can, if you relift the shame and say, okay, we're, we're going to take shame off the table and we're going to move forward and make a shift. Now, suddenly everybody's, they're awake. And instead of in this fog of shame that we've been living under, they're like, okay, okay, I can do something. I can, you know, the guys, the guys I'm working with, every single one wants to go, give back. They don't want to see those youth, the youth going into, they want to see those getting an education, you know, creating community murals. They really want to, you know, one guy wants to create a STEM course. Another guy wants to do a, create a community center. Um, another guy wants to create a, a prison art uh, co-op so we can give back to communities. So these are the, this is what's going on in the minds of the men that I've been working with. And this is, I'm just giving you three examples. And then you know, in the, in the honor yard that I work in, those guys are off the charts. They're, you know, there's, you saw some dogs in there. Mm -hmm. Those dogs go to vets and, and other people with PTSD. Um, one of the dogs, I saw a guy give his dog, you know, they have to give up their dog. You know, they've been training this dog for a year and a little girl who was in one of these shootings, he gave his dog to this little girl. And I mean, you know, the alchemy, the alchemy and the exchange in that moment, you know, I still cry, obviously I'm still crying about it. You know, that little girl has gotten healing from a man who did something really bad. Mm -hmm. And that, that exchange of love is forever healed and is forever healed in both humans. And that's what we're capable of. And we're robbing ourselves of what's really possible, which is a world of love and um, forgiveness you know, how much, what have we not forgiven? Obviously we're really, we've got a debt of, of unforgiveness that's just stacked up high because based on how we're treating each other, because the only way you can forgive someone else is if you've forgiven yourself mm -hmm. and we've not forgiven ourselves and we've got a debt. We've got, we've got slavery. We've got abuse to native Americans. We've got Jim Crow. We've got uh, world war one, world war two. We've got the civil war. Um, we've got the 60s. We've we annihilated, you know, the Black Panthers and all these all these groups that you know there was violence involved, but there was also really a lot of good. Mm -hmm. And so we've got we've got a, some major forgiveness to do for ourselves and to each other. And um, you know we've got to start with ourselves. So today, you know, everyone listening, you know, say it out loud. There is no shame, and I forgive myself. You know, let's start there. And it can ripple out because each person can change the world. I mean, you know, you're changing the world. I'm changing the world. And everyone here, and that's what I tell to every guy, every man and woman in, in prison, you can, you can transform the world because um, it's that, be the, that Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world, because it is true. If I've forgiven everybody and I've forgiven myself, you know, I'm an open book you know, I don't see, I don't see people as, as criminals, as other, because I've integrated 
that part of myself and that I've in, I see them in me, whatever it is. I see the violence, but I also see the love and it's, it's all available to us. You know, all the religions get it. It just gets perverted, you know, and, mm-hmm. and let's unpervert religions and let's unpervert, you know, the messages and the algorithms that have been handed down from generation to generation that we keep ignoring or we keep, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, all men are created equal except for blacks, uh, Latinos, women, Asians. So basically all white men are created equal. Well, yeah. And you know, we have slavery in our constitution in the 13th amendment. It's okay to have slaves still. So, I mean, I don't know what that is, but you know, if there's some people in the law who want to change that with me, let's go. There's a, there's a guy in, in a Kern Valley state prison who, who would like to change it as well, because it's, it's perverse. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some perversions in our society that really need to be examined because Um, When you take the the word slavery out of the Constitution, you suddenly have seen the incarcerated as a human instead of as, you know, you know, an an ox cart, a human ox cart. Right. Now, I was going to say here um, that, you know, we know people, you know, can relate to these adversities and some people don't end up in prison and there are some people that do. What are the demographics that you're actually seeing? you know, on your end with this and these stories of traumas and stuff like that. And how do these, you know, how do these relate to, you know, what we see out there? I mean, is it, is it disproportionate? Oh, uh, at the yard, I, I really don't know the, the demographics, but the yard where step inside the circle, I would say two thirds of the men were African-American. There was maybe three white men and then the rest were Latino. So, um, and so I'm going to give you some of the some of the stories that I heard um, from some of the guys. The first story I ever heard was from a guy named Deshaun, and um, he told me his father tried to drown him when he was ten years old. Um, and so that's and and so that messaging has informed the rest of his life. And when I saw this beautiful man, I couldn't like he had recessed. He had gone so deep into his own. Um, shame and you know inability to be in the world he was he's hard to access but i know love will draw him out and i'm i'm dying to get back in touch with this man um there's two men in my classes uh, so i sean deshaun had a 10 on his a score i'm talking about the tens mostly um ronald um his mother tried to uh, slit his throat when he was six Oh my gosh. And um, so, and, you know, he's still trying to get in relationship with his mother and he doesn't know how to forgive her. I mean, forgiveness is a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing. Yes. I I can see, I can see, yeah, I've cried for days with these men. And then Chris, Chris is, Chris's uh, father. um, He says he won't call him his father, the man who, you know, inseminated my mother. That's what he, he calls him. the guy dropped one of those sparklet bottles, but the glass ones over his mother's head. And he would whip, he made um, Chris sleep in the, in the bathtub because he wet his bed. And then the father would come in and urinate on him. So this is the kind of, um, I mean, yeah. And so Chris was a heroin addict and he has stopped 
using now. He has, after going through our class, it was a struggle because I'd see him because when you're on heroin, there's a, you kind of recess, kind of like Deshaun, you recess into, I don't know, it's like you're inaccessible. It's like, where did you go? Um, but he's stopped using. And, um, and there's actually two guys in my class who've stopped using because they have hope. And, you know, hope is, is a better drug is not a drug. It's a, it's a better, um, it's a better way of feeling. And I think, I think hope is, that's what I want to spread. There's 2.3 million men and women in the, in the, in our prison system and they need hope because when you have hope, you start, you, you lift the shame and you start, you start getting busy. Um, and the, the stories like this are, are common and what the circle does is it allows the men and women to see themselves in each other. And when you can see yourself in each other, there is no separation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you see, and that's, and but that's what the reality is when you walk down the street, everyone you see is you. And I, you know, this morning I saw a guy in a ramshackle truck. He was one of those gardeners but I saw him and I smiled at him and he smiled back and we had such joy this morning and that's what's available instead of seeing that other person as deformed, you know, or the worst of the worst, that's a human and um, give him the tools to love and to forgive himself. And you've got a, you've got a whole nother person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So let's let's talk about the Compassion Prison Project, um, the and what it encompasses, and then um, because I know you're seeking donations, it's a not for profit organization. Yes, and um, so yes, let's talk about yeah, and so let's talk about what that is and how donations are used, um, so that anybody listening here, and I'll have links to everything in the podcast notes, so people can get access back to um, to be able to contribute to what you're doing. Um, but let's tell everybody what what you're doing. <laughs> So yeah, it's been so exciting. We've you know we've gotten some donations. Some of the some of the donations will go towards finishing the film, and hiring Rodrigo Prieto again, and getting you know getting a, a beautiful film for us to really start seeing seeing ourselves in in these beautiful men and women. Um, and another thing, our donations are going. We're starting to reach out to all the prisons in the United States. There are eighteen hundred and thirty three prisons. We're starting with the prisons that we know we can get get our program into we want to get our program and the circle into all prisons and we want childhood trauma awareness to be not only available to all prisons but we really want to spread the message to the rest of the united states we want all i want all men and women to know what their a score is and to know um, the realities of what childhood trauma has done to every every man and woman that has experienced it um, other things we're doing, the giving back project like that. So um, hopefully we'll be getting some artwork from the men at Kern Valley State Prison. And um, they wrote they wrote a book. So we're going to be publishing their book. We're going to be creating calendars and greeting cards so we can sell them. So they can use that money to start getting their communities back on track. Um, we're also going to be painting murals in every prison which with iconography from their, um, like if they're from Watts, they're going to paint the Watts Tower. If they're from Sacramento, I don't know, maybe the Capitol building, I don't know, whatever they feel like. But um, the idea is 
to it's to have all every prison have a mural of California or if we're in Oregon of Oregon so that we start connecting back to our communities and then the communities they see oh look at that beautiful mural wait a second who who made that oh yeah it's Joe Joe from my he was in my school with me wait a second how's Joe doing wait a second I've got a job for Joe so you know and then Joe comes out and he wants to lead groups for teens and then I mean look what just happened we've got Joe with a job Joe's Joe's functioning. He's worked on his trauma. He knows about trauma. He can see the trauma in all those kids. And those kids feel seen. And suddenly those kids are not going to prison. They're, go they're finishing school suddenly. And suddenly they're going to college. And suddenly we have a whole new community. We have, we have leaders and people that believe in themselves. And when you believe in yourself, you believe in somebody else. Like I believe in myself and I believe in the men and women in prison. And I believe in my volunteers and the, you know, and oh, well, and I would start like to pay for some of the volunteers. My God, they're working. They're incredible. And I would like someone, I need someone to be my CEO or so that I don't have to do it because I need to just keep talking and I need to go into prisons and I need, so I need someone to run all the organization and I need, you know, we need, we have a billion salaries that need to get paid. So that's where your donations will go. We'll be able to start paying people so that they show up every day instead of, you know, Thursdays at one forty-five. Um, right. And <laughs> well, that's what's happening. They no, are, I, that's get, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Literally one forty-five. Yes. We need to pay all these, these people so that they can leave their jobs and work for work for our our organization and you know and we i need someone in each state who can reach out to all the prisons in that state so we you know it's like kind of grassroots but we need to hire these people i have there's sean he's in tennessee you know we're paying him a few dollars but that's not enough for him to quit all of his jobs and be you know the tennessee guy Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's number, you know, then there's red states that don't have any prison programs. And so we need to figure out ways to educate those red states and, you know, start changing this, you know, this old pattern of othering um, from, from the Civil War or from slavery and really shifting that dynamic so that we can, we can really start healing our society because this is, you know what you do to others you do to yourself so mm -hmm. those people those those people that are abusing these men and women are also abusing their families and their their selves so they're not whole you know we have a system of violence it, it's this whole society is built on violence and shame mm -hmm. and it's time that we really you know we upgrade we need to upgrade into love and compassion i mean that's who we are we all know that fundamentally um you know, we've had hundreds of people come and say they want to volunteer. We're still trying to sort that out, but hundreds of people. So what does that mean? And this is, this is out of the 2 million people that have seen the, the video. Wait till 10 million people see the video. So please, listeners, please share the video because once, you know, I don't know if we can handle more volunteers today, but we're going to need all the volunteers and we're going to need all, you know, and more donations because we're going to pay people. And, you know, maybe you, we can pay you. I mean, who knows? But there's 50 states. So we need 50, you know, 50 team leaders in each, in each state, 50, you know, and, and so on. And then the Giving Back Project, that needs a lot of donations because we need to 
help supplement these these ideas and these the visions so the men and women can see their ideas come into reality because when you see your vision manifest you become a different person you know mm-hmm. you know you know that you can do things and then mm-hmm. so you start thinking the vision starts getting bigger and your sense of yourself gets bigger and suddenly you know you've changed your community mm-hmm. and um that's what's available to us mm-hmm. you know on a local level on a national level we you know we can shift this dynamic um and it's not red and blue states. It's all of us. We're all in this together. And we all have the, like, like the men and women in prison, we all have the information to shift this dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's a paradigm shift. Indeed it down. is. Yeah, it is. I know. Good for you. <laughs> Fucking A. <laughs> right? Um, so the, uh, again, the links will be in the podcast notes. And for anybody that is actually interested, um, there is an email on the compassionprisonproject.org website to be able to send you, right? Like say, Hey, I'm, I'm in like, you know, I'll, yeah. you know, let me be your resource in whatever state that you live in. Um, and so I encourage everybody to, you know, bombard Fritzy, um, with, uh, with help <laughs> and with money that helps too. Um, and it is really important to, um, you know, to assign value, especially monetary value. Monetary value is an important part. We need it and we have bills to pay. Um, and so, and I think that sometimes, you know, uh, it is important for people to understand that their skills and their expertise can actually earn them livings that, uh, you know, and it's great to have purpose and, and, you know, and a sense of endeavor and also be able to pay your bills to be able to do that. And, um, and so it is, you know, I, I don't want to, definitely underplay what you just said like all these wonderful people that are giving up so much right now to get something going do deserve some financial compensation and that's kind of a weird thing that um, a stigma i would say that exists sometimes in culture is you know good things should be done for free for the sake of everybody else well, yeah that's maybe like there's a purpose there but again as long as there's bills to pay <laughs> and we have um you know and when we are um we have a sense of financial autonomy and stability, we can then turn that back into capital, like literally capital that we can grow with. And we, we only have so much we can do um, donating our finite hours and resources, but we can actually exponentially grow the efforts of other people and stuff. And so, um, you know, again, anybody that's listening here, organizations, um, you know, sometimes companies do have matching donations. So if you actually work for one of those bigger companies, you might inquire as to whether or not you can do a match. Um, with this, um, with what you're doing. And, you know, I want to go back to the, the topic of when we're hurting other people, we're hurting ourselves. Um, because sometimes that's not a, um, that sometimes it doesn't make a connection for people. They're like, well, no, I'm hurting that other person. I'm not, I feel really good about my choice to do that. The point to think about for anybody that's listening is when you believe that that's the right solution, you are inevitably doing similar things to people that you do care about, like subtly nuanced, um, you know, maybe in your, um, maybe in the way you talk, maybe in the way you feel about yourself, you know, you might be shame talking yourself more than you actually realize it. And so that's, that's kind of the essence behind that statement there of like, when we keep expressing this negativity and hostility towards somebody, it really usually is because we have that sense of hostility inward towards ourselves. We have no outlet for it. We were shown that when you have low self-esteem or low self-confidence that you punish other people for that and you make them lower to your levels. And so just think about that if you're out there listening, wondering, like, why do I feel, like, here's the curious question, why do I feel that we have to keep punishing somebody who's committed a crime? 
Like accountability, we've talked about that. There are victims. We've talked, you know, there's no doubt about all of that. But if you can't make the leap and you're thinking that there is a possibility for rehabilitation, that people can actually heal and grow, that they can actually become assets, why are you still hung up on the fact that that can actually happen? Just ask yourself where you think that's actually coming from. And that would be my homework assignment for my listeners. And I will add the ACEs link back in. We do talk about ACEs on the show. Um, and so I'll put it into this episode since you actually, that's your call to action for everybody. So for anybody that hasn't taken the ACEs test, I'll have it there for you to be able to do so you can get a sense of what your score is. I think that most of my listeners probably already know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're here hearing about trauma. They've gone down that path, but if you haven't yet, by all means, definitely do it. So, um, Fritzy, this has been amazing. I, you know, I get so excited about my own circle of people that I get to meet and talk to that have like this, um, similar passion, you know, for doing this kind of work. So I'm, you know, I was excited when you said yes. I'm thrilled to be sitting here and, and looking at you. Um, I hope that very soon we can actually see each other in person because um, I'll be heading down to Southern California quite a bit here in the upcoming months as soon as it's legally allowed and safe and all that other stuff. So I would love to be able to, to be able to touch base with you and, and meet you in person. And I appreciate your time today, you know, to sit here and have this conversation with me. Oh my God. Thank you so much. It was so great. And as always, I learn another thing. I learn more things just talking. So, you know, it's so great. So, and you're such a wise, you know, ins insightful woman. So I really appreciate your perspective and your and your community. Obviously, if they're attracted to you. They must be something else. So yeah. thank well, you thank so you. much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiquiracone.com, and there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.